ecpsa.org. As always, we appreciate your help and hope to see you there. You are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It's 3 p.m. Up next is Cover to Cover Open Book. Plays the first play in the red. Welcome to Open Book on Cover to Cover. I'm Richard Walensky. My guest is Mark Rucker, the Associate Artistic Director of ACT, American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, currently the director of a show called Marcus or the Secret of Sweet by Terrell Alvin McRaney. This is the third of the brother-sister plays, the first play in the Red and Brown Water, played earlier this year at Marin Theatre Company in Mill Valley, and the brother Size played pretty much simultaneously to that at the Magic Theatre in San Francisco. So this is the third play. It runs through November 21st. Right. Mark Rucker, let's talk first about Marcus of the Secret of Sweet and how you came to ACT. This is a very unusual situation. Three different plays, a trilogy put on by three different Bay Area organizations. The trilogy itself is about African-American life, about gay life, and about life in the South mm -hmm. today. Mm-hmm. How did this whole thing come together? These plays were performed in two other productions of the trilogies, one in New York and one in Chicago. And so we got a hold of the scripts last year. And one of the first things that Carrie Perloff did when I came into the building to become part of ACT was to give me these three plays and say, what do you think? And we talked about doing the trilogy. We talked about which of the plays we were most excited about. And when it came down to it, we knew that Marin Theater company was very interested in the trilogy as well. There were many conversations. My recollection is that we realized that it would be a wonderful opportunity for three theaters to do the plays. So we started talking to Marin and to the Magic Theater, Loretta Greco, there about doing it, and it just happened. And it is. It's really unprecedented. It's in a kind of an amazing thing, and it's been a wonderful experiment for us to work with the other theaters. I mean, they're three separate productions, but they have many things that link them, it's been a really great bridge-building event for us. Terrell's agent was obviously interested in the bigger theaters doing the show, so they shopped these plays around, and, you know, because we're the bigger theater, we get the first shot at a lot of plays. There was a lot of interest in it from all three of the theaters, and so we determined that we liked Marcus, that was our our play, and it was right for us. And then the other two theaters got the plays that they love the most, too, which is really amazing about this experience. Like, I think all three theaters feel like they got the play that they wanted. Let's go back. Okay, now you've come into ACT. They show you these plays. What attracted you to Marcus of the Secret of Sweet? The thing about all three of the plays is this young playwright who just turned 30, actually, Terrell, his voice is so incredibly distinct. It's so beautiful and strong. 
so all of the plays really spoke to me. But this play in particular, which is about a 16-year-old African-American boy's struggle to become a man. It's a gay play because that's part of his struggle, but it's also a coming-of-age play. It's also a mystery play. This boy is having dreams and he doesn't understand what they are, and he comes to figure all of that out. And this is the first time the unabridged version has been seen by itself. Yeah, in the other two productions of this trilogy, Marcus has been performed with the Brother Size. The Brother Size, the play that the Magic did, is a short play, a three-character play for the trilogy. Terrell wrote the play separately, and they were all meant to be performed separately. So for our production, he reinstated the original version of the play and put an act break in and additional material that was in the one-act version of it. The first play that was written was Brother's Size, a right. three-person play, yeah. and then he went back, and the second play, in the red and brown water, chronologically occurs before Brother's Size yeah. and deals with some incidents that are discussed in Brother's Size. And then, of course, Marcus comes 16 years later after in the red and brown water. Right. In terms of these three plays, though, in some respects, they're quite different and they're treated quite differently. Brother's Size was directed as kind of a realistic play. In the red and brown water was sort of almost ritualistic. And yeah. this play, your play, Marcus, is mostly realistic, but there are certain elements of what they did in Marin. Yeah, Marcus has these dreams that Marcus is having, and he has daydreams, and he has what we call mirage. And so there is a theatrical element to it that isn't in the other two plays, if, if you ask me. And so one of the reasons that we chose to do it is because we love that part of it. We love the dreams, and we're able to add a video element to the production that hopefully serves that. Was that always intended? I mean, when you first looked at the play, were you thinking in those terms? I wasn't, actually. I knew that there was a water element that I was really interested in exploring, and the more that we explored it, we realized that it was beyond water, that it was daydreaming and dreams and an organic element. Clouds and things like that kept coming up, that it wasn't about necessarily producing water or a, at the end of the play there's meant to be the coming of a storm which may or may not be Katrina the more that, that the designers and I talked about it we realized that, that there was such evocative imagery that we wanted to be able to have that in the production and video was the best way to do it I also noticed and in fact it's mentioned in the booklet words on plays that ACT gives out that in terms of developing the look of the production it turned out that the directors and the designers at the other two plays were all thinking in similar terms without necessarily knowing that they were. Right. One of the great things about this trilogy was that we all came together for the beginning of each play. So when Marin, which started their rehearsal process first, the first day of rehearsal, all three companies, as much as we could, came to the first rehearsal. Some of my actors came with me, some of my designers came with me, people from ACT that were invested in the project came to the first day, and Terrell was in London working at the RSC, and he Skyped in and spoke to us, and it was a really, really wonderful way to to start the trilogy, and then the first day of The Brother Size of Magic, we all came together again, and then the first day of Marcus at ACT, we all came together, and so it was a blessing in a way to have the other two productions feed us. I have actors 
one of which was in in the red and brown water and one was in the brother size that are in my show and we share a costume designer all three projects Mark Rucker, when you spoke with Terrell Alvin McRaney, the playwright, when you spoke to him in that first Skype discussion, what kind of advice did he give all of you? He talked about his inspirations for the project and some of the things he thought about as he created and he talked about his process of creating the three plays and, as you mentioned, which came when. And then he also visited us personally after that and was able to just be a part of the whole thing. For me, the most important part of that experience was just being with him. There's so much written about the plays and there's so much that I was able to research that I didn't need to talk to him so much about the play. Being with him and spending time with him helped me to understand more about the plays. It seems that as one of three directors, did you three ever get together and discuss, or did you kind of at one point just go your own way? We, d- we definitely knew that we were going to go our own way, and we're, we are very different directors. But we really bonded, Ryan and Octavio and I, I think, and I feel like they brought a lot to... I, I feel selfishly like I got the most from the whole thing because I was the third one, and I had the other two productions to experience before mine was finished, and these guys became my friends. I mean, we have this this thing that we shared, and we'll always be close because of it, I think. And they came to my first read-through, and they talked to me about the show, and Ryan came to a preview of my show and shared his thoughts with me, and so I really got the best part of it, I think. I think it should be made clear at this point that these plays, each of them, sit by themselves. I mean, it's not as if you necessarily need to know any information from the other plays when you're watching Marcus. You know, I'm sad that they're not still running, but that's just a matter of scheduling. But I can feel it every night that I go. I know that there are people that have seen the other two because they respond to things, that there are little nods that we make in our production to the other two productions that I can feel when people get that. Mark Ruckel, let's talk about some of the specifics. These plays have a couple of things that are distinctive to them, one of which is that the characters themselves give stage directions. And according to uh, McRaney, the purpose of that is to involve the audience directly. It's an interesting and very challenging thing for the actors to do because they literally have to stop, turn to the audience, and say a stage direction, and then do the stage direction. How do you get realism there? I mean, it seems kind of hard to be able to pause and say... And then Richard smiled. And then you have to stop, and you have to feature that smile in a way, and it's hard, right? That's impossible. It, it, I mean, so the actor. actors who are looking to be in the moment, smiling, have to stop, tell the audience, Marcus smiles, turn to the other actor, and then do the smile. It's Terrell's way of involving the audience. It's also a way of asking the audience to really look at that smile that's coming and how it connects to the action. So it's it's very challenging, and I think it takes the audience a little bit of time. I can feel it also each night when I know the audience is finally comfortable with the convention. It takes them a little bit of time because, it's in a way, it's calling them out. It's connecting. It asks the audience to keep being involved in the action. It says, I know you're there. I know you're there. And so that's an interesting thing. A friend of mine seemed to indicate that this was some kind of convention from the African-American storytelling. You know, the plays are 
The other two, maybe a little bit more than Marcus, are inspired by Yoruban myth. Certainly the character names remain in Marcus, but there isn't as much, although Marcus Eshu and the, the Yoruban god Eshu is this quixotic, sort of pixie-like character that inspires the movement of this play a lot, because the play goes in a lot of different directions. As I understand it, part of that is that part of ritual that really calls out to the audience. In terms of the ritualistic aspect, as I said, the first play in the Red and Brown Water was quite ritualistic, including some choral speaking. Yeah, yeah it's the most musical of the three plays. And also Ryan's production was very metatheatrical in that the actors were always on stage and watching, and there was a lot of physical ritual to it as well. When you're working with that ritualistic element and want to bring in naturalism, how do you as a director guide your actors? I mean, like you would do with any play. We broke it down and we talked about it in a sort of moment-to-moment way so that it could be grounded and alive, even though there's the theater-theater element, too. You mentioned before about, you know, trying to get someone to smile on cue. Was that particularly difficult for any of the actors? Absolutely. It's really hard for an actor because they want to smile. They don't want to stop and tell you that I smile and then do it. It's not natural. You want it to flow. And it took a lot of work for them to stop, talk to you, and then turn and do it in a genuine way. I was constantly going, look at me, look at me, look at me when you do that, because they want to just keep, you know, going, because it gets in your body in a, in a way that real behavior does. It seems easy, but to actually say, Marcus turns at one point and says, tears, and then he cries. It's not natural, but he, but he does. I mean, and Richard found a way to do it, and it's, and it's actually beautiful to stop for a second and ask you to look at me cry, and then I cry. This being the most recent play, do you see in the play development in Terrell Alvin McRaney's work as a playwright in terms of the quality or the way he uses dialogue? You know, it's hard because I'm biased, but I do think that you can see the evolution of a young playwright coming into his own through the three plays. These plays are all about African-Americans. You're a white guy. The other two playwrights, one is Latino, correct? Octavio, who directed The Brother Sizes. The three of us each connect to the plays from our own experience in interesting ways. I mean, I think Octavio's experience definitely connects to The Brother Size. I think that Ryan, who grew up in Louisiana, who knows that this world so well, has his connections to Terrell's work. The thing that's fascinating to me is Marcus's story is one that I identify with so completely. It's a coming out story. It's a coming out story. So in particular, Marcus's relationship with his mother is one that I, is so close to my experience with my own mother that that it was very easy to access it. My mother's from Mississippi, and so I have that connection too as well. But there's so much about the play that feels like it's my story that I, I deeply connect to it. Given that, And given the fact that you have your own vision, how easy or hard is it, I I guess it's easier in some place, harder than other, to bring your vision so that the actors are being themselves and yet fulfilling your vision? That's pretty easy for me. I, I love actors, and I love working with them, and I love watching them and helping them, and, and so it's not a difficult thing to do, and I think that these actors are an incredible group of, of actors in my production that it's very moving to me to have an incredible veteran like Margot Hall in the show and Gregory Wallace, who's a core company actor at ACT, 
plus I have four actors, young African-American actors who are just emerging, really, two who just graduated from our MFA program in June and two who are third-year students in the program. And then uh, an actor from In the Red and Brown Water, Jared McNeil, who's a very exciting young actor. It's just a great group, and our ritual was being in the room together and laughing and getting emotional and then laughing some more and so it's just a great great group of people to be around i don't know who's gay or straight in the company but there is some sexual action going on yeah in both this play and in um in the red and brown water right. and how easy or difficult was that element in terms of working with the actors or were um, they comfortable yeah we, we we like i said it's a great group and we're so comfortable with each other and because this is in many ways a gay play that was in the room and we talked about our experiences everybody had a gay uncle there was amazing there were like five gay uncles in the room that that people talked about Toby Windham, who plays Shua, the down-low boy, in the second act of the play, he took it on. He did it. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to ask an actor to, to access their sexuality, particularly if it's not their sexuality, as in, is in Toby's case. And he took on this boy in such a great way because he didn't judge I had issues about down-low guys, and he just took it on, and he approached the sexuality of it in such a, it's an interesting, aggressive way that it was never a problem for him. He made me feel more comfortable about it. You're listening to an interview with Mark Rucker, who's the director of Marcus of the Secret of Sweet, now at ACT in San Francisco through November 21st. And he's also the uh, Associate Artistic Director at ACT. What made you uncomfortable? What makes you uncomfortable about the whole down-low thing? I don't particularly like the closet. The down-low thing is very, it's fascinating, but there are a lot of things about it that I, that I don't like. I don't like what it means to the women that are involved with these men. It's not something that I think is good. It also distances them from the greater gay community. They don't feel that they are gay. They don't feel that they are part of that community. They feel like they are a whole other thing, which could be true or, to my mind, seems pretty dishonest. Did you talk about this with Terrell Alvin McRaney? You know, I don't think we talked so much about that with him. One of the things that he talked to us about that I thought was interesting is what it is like for a gay teenager who doesn't actually know that they're gay, but are told by people all around them that you're gay and taunted and told about it in negative ways before you're actually ready to even name it or approach it. And I certainly identify with that. You know, you get, you get called names from the time you're about well, for some people, it's all their lives, but when you come to adolescence and you realize that there's a sissy amongst you, that they get called out, and they're not ready, certainly, to sexualize anything yet, and yet they are faced with it every day. In terms of putting the entire play together, then, how subtle or overt did you want those elements, the down-low elements, to be the fact that he's being called out? And in essence, you know, how sissified, if you want to call it mm -hmm. that, did you want the actor to be? Because there's a tendency there to either underplay or overplay. It's interesting, Richard Prielo, who plays Marcus, is a, a somewhat masculine young man. And I think that in another world, Marcus could be a slender, feminine boy, and the one that you see that everyone goes, oh, that's what that is. 
But we didn't choose to do that. We didn't choose to ask him to do that so much as what I did is got Richard to find his most comfortable androgynous self in the role and let that be. I know from my experience, whereas, I mean, I think I'm pretty gay. <laughs> Some people might say, oh, well, you're this place right. on the spectrum or that place on the spectrum. It's the same for you. I mean, but at the same time, we can identify those parts of ourselves that are gay, whatever that means. And people will call you out on it. Even the most masculine gay man has girly parts. <laughs> well, uh, even the most masculine straight guy has totally. girly parts, too. I yeah, mean, and that's, what, that, that's what was fun about doing this play, is to ask the straight guys to be in this world, and they like it. Once you become comfortable with it, it's, it's kind of fun. How old is the actor in real life? 29. Taking people in their mid to late 20s and asking the audience to pretend yeah. that they're 16 or 18. Yeah. I mean, how much weight should we give to that? I, I found it a little distracting, actually. Well, it's the nature of theater for us to ask you to imagine. We decided, I mean, first of all, these actors were part of our family. And when we chose to do the play, we asked ourselves, should we go this way or should we not go this way? And we said, yeah, we should go this way. First of all, you need somebody who is seasoned enough to do these difficult plays. And also the nature of the theater, this particular theater writing is to say, you know, there's a line in the play that we kept because all three plays have this where the issue of skin color is huge in African-American culture in a way that I, I had no real knowledge of before this play. But in all three of the plays, somebody calls someone light-skinned. And in the case of these three productions, the actor's skin tone didn't necessarily match the stage description, but we kept them because it was a, another way of saying, imagine Marcus with lighter skin, if you choose to, if you want to. Imagine that he's 16. Hopefully you'll go along with it. Right. I mean, I, I probably would have gone along easier with 18. It's interesting that you say that because uh, the original version of the play, he's 18, but he changed it to 16. And I know why, because I know what it was like to be 16 as opposed to 18, dealing with these things. At 16, you're going to explode. At 18, you're maybe a little bit further down the road. Mark Worker, let's talk a little about your own career. You said you grew up in the South? No, my mother's from Mississippi, okay. but I'm from Southern California. What brought you to theater? I am a product of the old California school system when there were arts programming. And I started doing theater in all the way through school, but particularly in high school. My high school in Orange County, Southern California, in the late 70s, we had a theater department. We had I had many classes in theater. We had six productions a year. So I started directing in high school. And then I went to UCLA and really studied directing and, and was able to continue doing it. And then I went out in the world and did a little more and then went to grad school and here we are 20 some odd years later. Well, how did you get your first directorial role and, and did you ever want to be an actor? No, I acted in school, but I didn't want to be an actor. I always wanted to direct. I liked being in charge and I liked being super bossy and, and controlling. And then I learned how to do it in a, in a much more organic and a collaborative way. I was a, a nightmare, egotistical 
tyrant in high school. And then I went to a big theater program at UCLA and had to be much more competitive and, and, and realized that I wasn't the second coming in, in terms of uh, being a genius that I thought I was. And then I, it was very good for me to, and humbling to be around other very talented people. You did quite a bit of theater and somehow you wound up directing a film called Die, Mommy, Die, written by Charles Bush. And starring Charles Bush. Okay. I actually fell in my lap. I've been a freelance director for most of my career, working in theaters all over the country, but I still kept a home base in L.A., and some friends of mine became connected to this project and thought that I would be a good person to help shepherd it. And so they gave me the script and I liked it. And I'm a fan of Charles for many years. And he was somebody that actually, when I was in graduate school, took the time to talk to me and, and encourage me. And so when this came about, it just happened. And I don't quite know how but it did and it was a great experience and i loved it so much and i i would love to do more film but it's a really really wicked business and i just i just don't have the um i don't know what the the wherewithal to withstand everything that goes along with trying to get film made i had a quite a good cast yeah it was great it was it was really fun and and I went to so many film festivals and we played we we competed at sundance and won an award and it was a great great experience what happens, and I, you know, I, I just did it all so badly in a way, is that when you make a movie like that and you get the recognition that you get, you have about 15 minutes when you can try to set up the next three. And I was like, I would like to make a Shakespeare film next. And people are like, ah, no. <laughs> you wound up coming to ACT. You directed three plays, I believe, mm -hmm. Beard of Avon. Mm -hmm. Rainmaker and Luminescence Dating. Right. How did you come to ACT? Carrie Perloff had seen some plays that I directed elsewhere and had been very uh, encouraging. And then when The Beard of Avon came, she asked me to... I had a, a sort of a relationship to the development of that play at South Coast Repertory Theater, which is where I have worked for many years. And I came and did that. And then over the years, we stayed connected and came back and had a wonderful experience with the rainmaker and carrie wrote luminescence dating she's a playwright as well as a director and we just sort of kept the relationship going and then she approached me a little over a year ago about the idea of of being around act more and i've spent my career running away from jobs and she caught me at a really particular moment in time and i thought wow, this is a great opportunity and this is an, an incredible place to live. Most of the time, you don't get to choose where you, where you get to live in my business. You've got to go where the work is. And so it, it felt right. I love it here. I love a ACT and the work that we do there and the conservatory that's connected to ACT is really important to me. And so it just everything about it seemed absolutely right. About a year ago, you also worked uh, on a play at SF Playhouse. Right. I was here and some friends approached me I love David Greenspan, the playwright, and so it was great. I've worked at a lot of the theaters in the Bay Area in the past, Cal Shakes a lot and Berkeley Rep and The Magic. One of the things that, that is great and one of the things that Carrie has asked me to do was to keep connections to other theaters in the Bay Area, and then this trilogy is part of that. And it just makes sense. Mark Rucker, there are a lot of people out there who I think should be seeing more theater. If somebody doesn't quite have the bucks in terms of seeing Marcus to pay full price. What can people do to get into seeing Marcus? 
We have seats that are, I think, through this week in our balcony, which are $10. It's our 10-up program, so that's quite affordable. But even after that, the seats in the mezzanine and the balcony can be as low as $15. A ticket, we have group rates. If you can get a group of, I think it's 15 together, that can reduce the cost of the tickets. With this show, we've tried to do a lot of community outreach, and we have groups of people that that are coming to the show, in particular high school groups. My first read-through of the play, we invited 30 LGBT kids from Oakland to come, and it was an amazing experience. The last day of rehearsal, we had 45 at-risk teenagers that were invited to come, and these were not necessarily LGBT kids, and that was really interesting, too, because Terrell wrote this play to push buttons in his own community because the African-American community doesn't really like to approach the gay issue. There's a lot of not talking that happens about this issue everywhere, but in particular with this community. And so it's not easy. I've watched African-American people walk out of the show. We've received letters saying that it was just too provocative for them, even though if you saw it, it's not that provocative. Mark Rucker, what have you got on tap for yourself now? I am going to South Coast Repertory Theater to direct a production of Midsummer Night's Dream in December and January, um, so I'll be away for a short amount of time, but we're in the throes of continuing to work on the rest of the season. I'm very much involved with how they get produced, design, cast, and up on the stage. You've been listening to an interview with Mark Rucker, who's the director of Marcus or the Secret of Sweet, now at ACT through November 21st. And the website is act-sf.org. I'm Richard Walensky on Cover to Cover. KPFA, listener-sponsor Pacifica Radio, is affiliated with the Communications Workers of America, CWA, Local 9415. You are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 